0: Hello and welcome to 15 Minutes in Hell. This is the only way I'm able to make friends, so I just have people on the show. It's a 15-minute interview show. Today, I'm joined by David Slack. He's a TV writer, producer. He was formerly on the WGA West board member, and he's part of the 2020 negotiating team. David, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. And yes, I was on the 2020 negotiating committee. I'm not on the negotiating committee right now.
0: Well, I had you on here for one thing. Please break down what exactly caused this strike to happen. Because
1: I'm furious about it. You're furious about it? I've been walking a picket line for 119 days or whatever. What caused the strike to happen? It's... uh... It, I think it's one of the biggest unforced errors in the history of our industry. What caused the strike to happen is the studios refused to negotiate um, on uh, May first at midnight, uh, when uh, you know they refused to uh, counter on a lot of our offers, and we went out on strike. The the WJ put out um, a side by side comparison of the very reasonable and affordable things we were asking for, and all of the categories where they had made some small moves, and the many many categories where it just said um, refused. Our offer refused to counter. Uh, they simply refused to, to negotiate. And um, so, you know, from my perspective, uh, and I know a little bit about this because, you know, I was on the WJ board, I've been through negotiation before. The only reason for a company to allow a strike to happen is if you think you can break the union, right? If you break the union, your labor costs go down considerably. Um, so that, there, you know, there's a legitimate business reason. It's shitty, but it's a business reason for a studio or a, any kind of company to cause a strike. But even a cursory risk analysis would have told these guys that we're not the union you break. The WGA, we all fired our agents en masse together. And even though a lot of us disagreed, over that, like there was significant disagreement within the guild, we as a group held together for two and a half years, and we got every agency in town to change their business practices in a significant way, and we signed two private equity firms to union contracts so we're very strong we 're small, but we're very strong we 're very stubborn. We are not the union you break Well, tell me what are the th- what are the major sticking points though
0: because I feel like a lot of people I talk to they know something's going on, but it's not obvious for laymen, what, what they are.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, in the, in the simplest terms, the, the, look, we have a lot of specific demands, but they all go towards one very simple goal, saving our middle class, saving writing for TV and movies as a viable full-time job. Uh, for the history of the entertainment industry, writers in Hollywood have been able to make a living by telling stories You know, writing them down, selling them to uh, movie and TV studios, and then the movie and TV studios, you know, make those things, they market them, they put them out and everybody got on just fine. But our incomes are down 23% over the last, I think, 10 years, if you adjust for inflation. Um, uh, and it's because, in part because of the move to streaming. It's in part because of, uh, their business practices where they, they've increasingly trapped feature writers in endless rewrites. They've moved in TV towards these mini rooms where writers are employed for a much shorter term and showrunners get amortized down to scale and are forced to cover set and all the onset rewrites and post entirely by themselves, which has historically been a team effort. Um, so there are many, many ways that they are hurting our incomes, but the very, very simple thing we are fighting for is just to be paid a fair wage so that we can pay our bills. We have writers writing on hit shows like The Handmaid's Tale, having to turn around and drive a lift um, uh, while they're seeing the billboards for the show they helped uh, write up. We should be able to pay our bills. We should be able to save a little bit for a rainy day. We should be able to buy a home. We should be able to raise a family. This is a a product that they don't know how to make without us. This is a product that brings them $30 billion every year, just on average, in pure profit. They're making $30 $30 billion a year in profit. and All of our asks add up to about 2% of that, just a 2% raise after 6% inflation. So We're asking for – some very reasonable and, you, you know, you can get in the weeds and there's individual things. But the, the truth is we need movement on all of it. We can't leave any segment of our membership behind. We we need to protect comedy variety writers and streaming who haven't had any uh, un- union protections really at all. We need to uh, protect against free work. In features, we need to uh, protect the way that TV writers are compensated. Um, Across the board, we need to raise our minimums. So all of these things are towards the same very simple goal. We just need to be paid a fair living wage so that we can continue to do this as a career. And they seem to want it to be an endless side hustle while they continue to make billions from the thing that we know how to do and they don't. So this the AI side is interesting, though, because it's, I thought,
0: personally, I just talked to Rob Corddry about this, I thought AI was not going to be a sticking point, that they'd back up, but it seems <laughs> like they've really been stuck on it. Why do you think that is? Because
1: <laughs> they're assholes, honestly. Um, it, <laughs> okay, I, I you was, want to I elaborate, was... though? But- yeah, I, I, yeah, no, no, that's my final answer. Um, uh, I was really surprised by that. You know, I mean, AI is obviously something that's been moving very swiftly. Um, I think there's a, a little bit of an element of grift to it. You know, see also NFTs and crypto. Um, there's this sort of flash in the pan thing, but there's been a lot in the news about AI. But f- for us, it's set in our contract for decades that the writer is a person. Um, We've had that in writing. So I I thought this would be an uncontroversial thing for us. And it certainly wasn't something that I was, you know, fired up about going into this negotiation. And then we got into negotiations and our leadership has reported back to us that they were wholly unwilling to move on that front and actually said to us, uh, to our negotiating team, um, we're unwilling to, you know, accept any regulation of a technology that we may want to use someday. So in the negotiating room, they sort of announced, you know, said the the quiet part loud, which they've been doing a lot. They announced their intention to perhaps use this technology, and I, you know, uh, frankly, I, I I think that's another completely foolish thing for them to dig in on. I mean, you know, because already we're seeing, you know, court cases that show that AI works can't be copyrighted for a a number of reasons, not the least of which is that large language model AI, generative AI, is you know, perhaps better described as a plagiarism machine. No offense to the people who've worked very hard on it, but if you scrape the entire internet and you chop it up really fine, you're you're just making a copyright smoothie. Um, So, uh, But they you know, they dug in on this thing. I I, I personally think that by the time you have an AI that can do what I do, you know, I mean, an AI is going to be able to do a CEO's job long before it'll be able to do mine. That's just an optimization algorithm. They've had those for years. But when you can do what I and the other members of my union do, when you can come up with an original story and take the audience through it in a way that engages them emotionally, that says something about the human experience that can make people laugh and make people cry, by the time you have an AI that can do that, you're talking about an artificial general intelligence. And Ed, you and I before have had conversations yes. about artificial intelligence. I know we're on the same page here. As soon as you got an AGI, you're about, you know, two to 72 hours away from artificial super intelligence. And then copyright law is the least of your concerns. <laughs> like just lock up the bio labs and hide the nuclear weapons. What do you think they want to do with the AI though? What do you think their actual goal is? Um, well, here's here's an example of something that they could do with the current technology that would be shitty, but they could do it. You could have assistants uh, sit in front of uh, chat GPT-4 all day long and say, um, write me a premise for uh, a one-hour drama crime procedural – um, and then the AI would spit out something that was probably incomprehensible and probably borrowed heavily, if not verbatim, and maybe ver- borrowed verbatim uh, from existing copyrighted works. And they would just do that every day, you know, let's say for six months. So they're generating, you know, 500 ideas, in quotes, uh, a day, um, you know, for six months. It's a huge, huge library of, quote, IP that the studio owns. And then I go in with my original idea that I've worked on that actually makes sense, that actually has something to say about the human condition and characters people will be engaged in, that's drawn from my personal life experience and years of experience doing this job. And I go in to pitch them and they're like, hey, we really like that. They do a quick keyword search and they find something in their archives that's vaguely similar. And they say, it's great. We already own this. Would you like to develop this idea that we own? And in that process, they have massively, massively decreased the money that I can negotiate for and what my rights are and how I'll be compensated. So that's a dirty trick that they could use the parlor trick of the current generative AI technology to do. And based on past experience with the studios, I, I certainly wouldn't put it past them to do that. I mean, I've already, you know, gone in with original pitches and be, been asked to attach it to an existing piece of IP. You know, and this just speaks to the short-sightedness of the management of the studios studios overall. You know, they're not letting us train the next generation of showrunners. They're not letting us create the next generation of IP for them. If, uh, you know, the next George Lucas came in right now with the idea for Star Wars, they would say, great, can you make that a Star Trek series? (laughs) Yeah,
0: it does feel like streaming has also become a kind of, Encumbrance for them that they way over invested in two thousand twenty one green lighting shows about like herbie goes Bananas extreme a hundred million dollar show they just seem to have overloaded It almost feels like streaming kind of fucked up the entire industry
1: well, I mean it, it, you know i wasn 't inside all that stuff i don 't know I think they 're you know making decent money or else I think some of them would have pulled out by now. Um, uh, that said it, it was certainly, you know, as a, as somebody who interfaces with them in the business, it sure seemed like they didn't have a business plan. Most of them, the, I think the business plan at most streamers was just uh, Netflix is doing it. So they felt like they had to, it was this mad dash. Uh, and I, I really don't think they thought through how are they, they were going to make money off of this. Cause a, a, a subscriber model is, I, I don't think is going to give them the kind of perpetual growth, you know, that you wanted a- HBO and Showtime were always, you know, the premium top tier of a cable subscription and not everybody even had cable. Um, so I think we'll probably streaming will probably switch to an ad based model because that's, you know uh, the same way that broadcast work. That's how social media has classically worked until Elon got involved and fucked it all up. Um, you know, you, you give the, the thing to look at away for free And then you charge advertisers for the eyeballs and that model can scale. You know, people are competing for the – to buy ads in this hit show or whatever or on this, you know, great platform. So, the ad price can go up. You know, there's 340 million Americans, give or take, and they're not all getting accounts. So, your subscriber base is going to top out at, at a certain Amount that's There's no growth beyond that. So I think they're going to have to switch to an ad-supported model. But all of this stuff is in some degrees already in process. And it's also, uh, you know, these are their business problems based on their decisions that really, you know, they didn't ask the Writers Guild of America or SAG-AFTRA what we thought they should do. They made these choices. So if they've made bad choices, that doesn't change the fact that we make their product and we need to be compensated fairly for it.
0: It feels almost as if they are punishing the writers for their own mistakes.
1: That would certainly be uh, that would certainly be one way to look at it. I mean, if you, certainly if you look at what Bob Iger said, you know, this is not the time you have to be realistic while he's sitting on a golf course at a conference for billionaires that he flew to on a private jet. Um, we're the ones who have to be realistic about what they're capable of paying. And, you know, and these are union busting techniques that go back – as old as time. I mean, there's there's never been a strike where the bosses didn't say, oh, this this is just the wrong time. You just don't understand how much trouble the company's in. You know, it's manipulative and it's false. The, this is, uh, you know, the entertainment industry is historically recession proof. Um, it is uh always been a good investment. We make a product that is known around the world and that uh, retains a lot of its value years later. I mean, I just finished watching the original Twilight Zone and I paid a streaming service to be able to do that. So, you know, the, right. they, they own these things. This says in our contract, they own what we create in perpetuity throughout the universe and all media now existing or hereafter devised. And every contract writer, actor or anybody ever signs, it says that. Um, and... Those libraries stay pretty valuable, um, you know, and we saw that in vHs and d v d home video and we 're you know we 're seeing it in in streaming that uh, in many cases a lot of the benefit that people are subscribing for is the library. Look at suits on Netflix um, just being able to have an old show that was already produced in their library is you know bringing in a lot of subscribers and a lot of eyeballs, and as they move towards ad supported a lot of ad dollars
0: and I doubt that they are suffering with suits suits does not look like an expensive show to produce it's not good that it's not good it's just they are unquestionably getting the majority of the value out of the product Yeah, it's
1: it's, i mean it's it's a great show and yeah they just as, as near as i can tell watching it with my producer hat on they just you know rented out a couple of floors of an office building for you know nine years and just that was their standing set and it looks great you know um and it's a really fun show and that's You know, there's just so many mental mistakes uh, coming from, I think, the people at the highest level. Something I really want to be clear about is the rank-and-file creative executives, the people that I work with who give me notes and, you know, buy my ideas and um, sometimes bring ideas to me. Uh, Those people are, I think, being as badly mistreated by the CEOs as we are, Um, and I think they're just as frustrated as we are. Um, Because we're increasingly being managed in a short-sighted way that's about, you know, the people like David Zaslav coming in and just, you know, juking the stock price to squeeze money out of the business for their hedge fund buddies, knowing that they've got a golden parachute waiting once they run the business into the ground and sell it off for parts. The people that I work with, the executives and certainly the other writers and actors... We love this business. We love telling stories. And that is why people love this product. This business is built on telling good stories that mean something to people. That's all we want to do.
0: I think that's there. Uh, and I think that's a great place to end the show because we're at 50 minutes. I'm so sorry, David. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: <laughs> you and know me, I could, I could do another hour. <laughs> oh, no. And that's
0: the thing. I wanted you to come on to tell this story because I feel like it's been – under under told and it's told it with great clarity thank you so much for joining us this is 15 minutes in hell i really appreciate everyone for listening where's your at slash podcast thanks everyone